the Leafs are going to get the puck out at center ice. They don't get it in deep. Now when they do, it comes to Matthews who scores! Back to the blue line from Matthews. Near side for Willie and a shot. That's blocked. He gets it again. Far side for Matthews who scores! From his favorite spot. And Austin Matthews has a pair and this game is tied. Now Nyes and across the line with Matthews. Took a shot. Oh, and that was off the stick. A backhand by Matthews. Scores! Holy Mackinac, the big fella's got three! You know, when he's scoring, obviously, like, the team can relax because now you're, you're scoring goals, you're feeling good. In this case tonight, we're coming back, build a lead. Uh, so, yeah, it helps everybody relax. That's what elite players do, you know. Uh, we're very fortunate to have him uh, uh, as part of our group. But while well, well, he scored big goal tonight, he also defended extremely hard, which, especially once once we get the lead, now we need him to defend and need him to compete uh, and lead the way. Yeah, I'd be feeling pretty comfortable if I was Sheldon Keefe this morning after watching that performance last night. I hope you all stayed up. It wasn't even that late. Nine o'clock. Yeah. And look, I wouldn't have. Well, I mean, I would have blamed you. You should always be watching the least. But I wouldn't have blamed you for seeing the flames go up to nothing and going. Fridays are hard enough. I'm going to bed. But for shame on you, if you did, Austin Matthews put on a show. So did Leaf School, our uh, video review coach, oh, yeah. Jordan Bean, put on a show as well for the second straight night. And most importantly, especially if you're Sheldon Keefe, the Leafs hang on for a 4-3 win. Brent Gunning starting things off because Ben Ennis can't be bothered to drag himself into work on Fridays anymore. <laughs> Don't ask me what's going like, on there. Is this, is this more than the first time he's taken on? Uh, let's just say it's, well, because, you know, it's funny. I, I was thinking about the last time you and I did a show together, yeah. and it was American Thanksgiving. It was also a Friday. Uh, so, yeah, it's becoming a bit of a pattern, okay. I'll say. But I'm always happy to have you and Jesse Rubinoff uh, here alongside me. Thanks, buddy. What a night. What a night uh, for the Leafs. What a night for Matthews. And, <laughs> again, it, it can't be overstated. You know, I'm not even the guy who's been leading this uh, this watch as closely as others, but what a night for Sheldon Keefe. Yeah, I mean, it, it feels like Matthews sort of bailed his coach out a little bit. The seat on Sheldon Keefe getting uh, warmer. Coach, even if you don't GM, think it's hot. Uh, president of, of hockey operations for the Toronto Maple Leafs, uh, the Rogers board. I don't know, however high you want to go up, he bailed a lot of people out last night. Yeah, Matthews no question. It, it's so funny how things can change on what is seemingly such an innocuous play, like the... The Flames score, and you're thinking, uh-oh, here we go. Leafs are going to blow this one again. Yeah, cough it up. Uh, cough it up again. And then the video <laughs> the video review mm-hmm. on a puck that just, just grazes <laughs> the glove. Just grazes the glove. And I, for me, that's not necessarily how hockey is, is meant to be played because you slow down the game for yeah, five minutes uh, checking a review on, on a puck that just grazes a glove. It's like, what, what are we really doing? But at the end of the day, that potentially saved the Leafs who you know if that goal stood, mm-hmm. they got to be thinking, oh, here we go again. Go how again. could this be happening? And yet we come in here this morning and the story is without a question, Austin Matthews dominance once again. Yeah. And if that review goes the other way, you, the camera cuts to Matthews and he goes, guys, I've already done four in a game <laughs> once here and I'm not 28 years old. Uh, do I have to do it again tonight? Apparently I would have, uh, but we didn't need to see that. And look, like there's a lot to take out of the game. There's a lot to take out of the way the third period unfolded before and after that challenge. But, you know, 
we're almost guilty of taking Matthews for granted. I'm not going to go quite that far that we don't appreciate this guy. I think, you know, and I'm the, I'm the poster boy of it because I already apologized for a very early text message. I sent a group chat this morning of just, boy, how lucky are we to get to watch <laughs> this guy? But when you look at him nights like that, I mean, the hat tricks have come fast and furious this year. He starts the season with back to back. It seems like we haven't gone more than three or four weeks without him ripping off one since, but it's just hard to watch a game like that last night where he is on a different planet from everybody else. And look, I know it's easy when he was just playing the guy who is on a different planet from everybody else. But you see a game like that from him last night and it feels like he has no peers. And like, I'm not turning this into he's better than McDavid, but I really don't know that we truly, truly appreciate it night in and night out. And part of that is the, the fires that are constantly being put out in this market, being rumors of a coaching change or, you know, blowing leads or whatever's been going on. But I watched that game last night and, you know, we've done this topic a million times. Is he the greatest leaf of all time? Yeah. If he ever wins anything, but he might be, might be the greatest athlete this city has ever seen like forever until somebody else wins a championship. For me, it's going to be the run. Kawhi Leonard went on in 2019, but there was no equity. There was no, well, I won't say there's no stakes. They won a title, but there was no equity there. It was a mercenary. It was a complete, you understand what this is. This is a guy who's re-upped here twice now, has the long track record, has won a heart trophy. And the thing I keep coming back to watching that game last night is it would be criminal if all we ever talk about from this era is what didn't happen, what didn't come to fruition. I'm not saying that like it's our fault. They got to go out there and do something about it. But, you know, you look at the Donaldson MVP season and Josh Donaldson was an incredible athlete in the city. That season was remarkable. The Donaldson dash moments you remember, but it was a pretty, pretty fleeting moment in time. And I don't think anyone is going to say that Josh Donaldson occupies the same space in his sport that Austin Matthews occupies in his, you know, you want to go back, a generation ago, Gilmore and Clark and the run in 93 and he's bleeding from his face, but it was a run. And yeah. we remember that if all that this Leafs era ever has to show is what ifs it is going to be so, and you know, I don't say this to remove the responsibility from him. You need him to have games like that in the games that matter the most, but it would be so unjust and quite frankly unfair if that's what this ends up with of us just looking at this Matthews era as talks of blowing leads and what could have been. We should be talking about this as the greatest probably athlete that until someone else comes along will have ever graced this city. And, you know, I know we can go back to the thirties and guys who played in, you know, when life was black and white, forget about what just on TV, but I I'd be lying if that's not where my head went watching this last night. Yeah. Well, there's always going to be frustration within the Toronto Maple Leafs fan base because they haven't won since 67. So you're not going to escape that until they win. But there is an element here and watching the game last night, I felt this way. Like they're getting to a point where you feel like you're wasting Austin Matthews career. Totally. And it's prime. And it's remarkable to think, you know, how did we possibly get here? But we're now, you know, seven years in and it's seven like, years like what do we have to show for austin matthews level of dominance and it's not like this is just this season like he has he scored 60 goals in the national hockey league before and if you were to tell a uh, casual nhl fan oh this guy scored 60 goals what kind of postseason success do you think mm-hmm. this team had 
And I think you'd be surprised that they've only won one playoff series uh-huh. in Matt, the Matthews era. So watching him and his performance specifically last night, it's like, how do we get here? Like, how, how do you have a guy that is capable of that type of game breaking ability who, who really takes the game over, potentially saves his coach's job and just gets rid of all, not, not all the bad feelings uh-huh. and bad energy, but a lot of it in one performance, how is there only one playoff series win? And that to me is why the pressure is mounting on this team to actually accomplish something substantial because you you can't have a guy that comes in and is on a 71 goal pace, Mm -hmm. a 71 goal, 37 goals in 43 (laughs) games, a 71 goal pace that would put him amongst the greatest goal scoring seasons in the modern era. Maybe ever. Yeah. And the question is, are they going to fire their coach midway through the year? Mm -hmm. Like, how are those two storylines going blow for blow right now, halfway through the season? One, on the one hand, Mm -hmm. if a guy's going to score 70 goals or on pace to, and on the the same team, the whole fan base wants the coach fired. It's just unbelievable how you have that juxtaposition. Yeah, it is. And, you know, I know people point to the playoff record, specifically that last series against Florida going goalless there, but he's got 22 goals in 50 career playoff games. And, you know, there's some, you can, you can do what you want with numbers. We all know how this works. But if you take every guy in the league who's active right now, who has had at least 20 career playoff goals. So these are bona fide performers. Here's all the guys with a greater goal per game in the playoffs than Matthews. Tarasenko, cup champ. Pasternak, performer. Point, cup champ. Alex Ovechkin, greatest goal scorer of all time. Nathan McKinnon, playoff bulldog. Jake Gunsel, playoff performer. Connor McDavid, Leon Dreisaitl. So it's not as though Matthews, yes, you, would, you needed more from him in that Florida series. Guess what? You needed more from every single guy there. But it is not, you know, I've heard that of, oh, do it in the playoffs. Do it when it matters. You tell me which of those guys you don't think is playoff performers. Those are the only guys doing it at a better clip than him in the playoffs. And, you know, maybe you put a Jack Hughes or somebody in there who's played, you know, a pretty few amount of games and maybe the numbers change. But we're talking people with long playoff track records that are in the league right now. He's ninth in goals per game. You know who's also 12th on that list? Just ahead of Sidney Crosby? John Tavares, mm. okay? So when we talk about playoff perception and playoff failures, yeah, guess what? Stars got to own it because they're the reason that the team is in the position they're in and everything there, but it has not been these guys laying an egg left, right, and center. And I just look at that game from Matthews last night and... You know, we, again, because we've done this a million times, and I don't think it's fair to say he's underappreciated. This isn't an underrated thing. But I feel like there is such a fear of... It's almost like when you've when you've loved and lost and you're afraid to give yourself over to, you know, your new paramour or whatever it is. And it almost feels that way with this Leafs core that everyone sees it. And the 71 goals, and it's special. And, hey, do we laugh it up and yuck it up about a regular season game? Yes, we do. But there's always that but. There's always that caveat. And that is the thing that just has to get removed from this Leafs era. Because, again, like we could talk about the game last night and there's things to pick at there. But that is a performance that is becoming borderline expected or borderline regular. That's supposed to be a night like that where he puts the team on his back and scores three or four goals in a Mm -hmm. win. That is supposed to be... You know, something that's highlighted in a night when a team retires your jersey, okay? <laughs> and he has one a month this year. Yeah. It's remarkable. The 
the way he overshadows guys who would be all we would ever talk about in other areas of Leafs hockey, a John Tavares, a William Nylander, a Mitch Marner, and he casts a shadow over all those guys with his performance. And it's just, I keep coming back to how truly remarkable he is. You could say that about him last night, but you can say that is, quite frankly, his career as a whole. You throw in the 200-foot stuff. It's just remarkable. And I sometimes think that, you know, it could have been really easy to do the show today and come on and just immediately get to how they played that third period and did they hold the lead. And we can do that in a second here. But I just cannot skate past how regular exceptional performances are becoming for that. Guy. Oh, that's such a good point. I, uh, what what I think about when I when I think about his postseason reputation, like I don't think people think he's necessarily a bad playoff performer, but no. I, I don't think people look at Austin Matthews as an exceptional you know what? Performer. Sorry, I, I just while I have the game log here, yeah. what it is is it's boom or bust. Right. So he has the series against Tampa. He has five goals in six games, but then he has no goals in he the is, following yeah. series against Florida. There's a year where he has one goal, uh, then he has five and four in the years that blanket that. There's another year where he has one goal in a seven-game series. So it's either he's far and away the best offensive player or he's a little bit snake bit. And guess what? Like that kind of sounds like a little bit, not everything, but a little bit of shooting luck is involved there. Yeah. So that's the thing that's remar- remarkable about it. Yeah, you sort of, uh, there's a part of me that thinks he's a little bit a victim of expectations in terms of his regular season dominance. And then he goes into the postseason and it's hard for, I think all of us to wrap mm-hmm. our heads around. It's like, uh, okay, having Austin Matthews score one goal in a playoff series, when we see him have a game like he had last night, mm-hmm. it's like, why isn't he scoring a more? goal a period? Yeah. Right. And it, that's not necessarily a, a fair ask in a sense. Like, yes, he is their best player. Yes. He is their best goal scorer. Clearly the best goal scorer in the national hockey league. So mm-hmm. when, they're not scoring. The fingers are going to be pointed at him. But it's not like when, you, when you're going against better teams in the postseason, night after night after night, their one objective is to shut him down. And they have the pre-scouting, and they have all the tape on him, and they try their very best to do it. It's not excusing mm-hmm. the fact that he doesn't come up with hat tricks every other night right. in the playoffs. <laughs> it's just a lot harder. And then when they don't win... The finger will always, no matter how good he performs in the playoffs, it'll always be pointed at their best players. Mm -hmm. Always, whether that's fair or not. So I feel like because this guy has scored 60 in the past and you go into the playoffs and he's not necessarily a a, almost a goal per game, he's a little bit a victim of expectations in, in that sense. But again, I don't think he's been bad. I don't think he's been great in the playoffs. You would love to have performances like you got last night, but it's not the easiest thing in the world to expect. Yeah, it's not no, fair. No, it's it's not. And you know, I think that I think that he this team, if they ever have the breakthrough, you know, David Camp is going to be fine, and Noah Gregor will be cruising around. Let's say it's this year. Let's say it's three years from now. None of those guys are here. All these depth pieces will be fine. You'll have a series where one of those guys feels like part of the core. But guess what? It's going to be, maybe it's not Matthews. Maybe it's Marner putting the team on his back, going win a con Smythe or Nylander or, you know, this becoming less and less likely as it goes along. But I just gave you the goal scoring numbers. I'm not pouring dirt on the guy or John Tavares. It's going to be because one of those guys or a goaltender goes effectively nuclear. You yes. see it all the time, especially in a league right now that is so, there is so much parity. See with a team like Golden Knights, I suppose they're the outlier there. Guess what? Jack Eichel, pretty good at the tail end of that. Jonathan Marshall, Conn Smythe winner, snapping it in the net seemingly every 
other million night, different goalies right? in the so, playoffs last year. Yeah. But with this team, with how top heavy they are, it's always going to be one of those guys uh, c- coming through. We talked about it a little bit, the idea of how finicky conversations can be about results and, you know, Every sport has a little bit of luck involved, but you, you could definitely make an argument hockey more than other. It's a it's a frozen rubber on ice. How differently are we talking about that game? Let's just play it out in the doomsday scenario that I think everyone would have expected <laughs> where that goal stands. It goes to, let's let's give the Leafs overtime even. And then it's like a stinky goal on Martin Jones on the first shot of overtime or something along those lines. What's the conversation we're having today? And should it be any different than the one we're currently having? The conversation we're having today is when is Sheldon Keefe going to get fired? Mm. Like that's, I think how hairpin this situation is. And I don't know how much what happened last night relieves it. I do think it should like for me personally, Mm -hmm. and this is the first time that you and I have been talking about this. I don't necessarily agree with the fire Sheldon Keefe talk. Mm-hmm. I, I know that there is like this clamoring in the NHL now and a lot of it has to do with the salary cap and how there is uh, not a lot of movement, a lot of, not mm-hmm. a lot of things that you can do with your roster over the course of a season that the coach bump is yep. the one way is one of the ways that you can actually give your team a little bit of an edge during the regular season. But for me, I don't necessarily think that he's done a horrible job. There are things that he does like changing the lines literally every mm-hmm. single night and then mid game yep. over and over and over again that bother me. But when you look at what he's been able to extract from this team in mm-hmm. terms of points and all of that, I don't think necessarily Sheldon Keith is the one that should have sure. to answer for all of this. However, I do think that if they lose that game and they blow another lead, it the calls for his job almost mm-hmm. become insurmountable. And, and I do think, even though they didn't play a great game last mm-hmm. night, coming away with a victory certainly takes a little bit of the edge off of that. And you know, hopefully people can focus a little bit more on performances like Matthews instead of calling for the coach to be fired. Yeah, it's, it's remarkable, right? It's a, it is, and look, you know, I'm never, I, I don't think I've ever complained about a call that went the Leafs way. I'm not about to start now, but it's like, that's as ticky tack uh, a goal coming back as there is. And the one the other way was just as weird. The idea that if Timothy Lilligram would have let the puck go in his net, then it would have counted. But because he tried to stop it, he I got had a stick no on idea it. in either case I still what the result was going to be. Guess what? I still don't understand. No. This is, this is a bad, this is a like flaw I have about this job is that we're supposed to be curious and have questions. And I do have a lot of them, but I also will occasionally go, I'm out. I don't care. <laughs> you guys made up your mind. I don't get it. I don't think I ever will. I'm out. I just, yeah. they, they were trying to explain on the broadcast. And we're doing a very good job of breaking it all down. Guess yeah. what? Still have no idea what happened. All I know is the Leafs won at the end of the night, <laughs> but it's finicky, right? We talk about it all the time. How many times has a puck rung the post? And if it went in, your team's looking at the other side of things. And this is where it's so hard to look at the results versus how things are playing out. And, you know, the Leafs, they could have, again, let's say that goal counts last night and they play the rest of the third period the exact same way where they're out chancing the flames and they're taking it to them and they're pushing. But they ultimately aren't able to push one past the red line and you go in overtime and then it's a three-on-three skills contest that has no bearing on how your team's going to look in the playoffs. It has bearing on if your team's going to get there. I'm not worried about that, but maybe the Leafs should be. But it has no bearing on what the team is. And then we're talking about a skills contest defining how good a coach Sheldon Keefe is. I, I feel like I've been on record with this, that it is far from his fault, but I have come around more on the idea of it's just been so long for Keefe 
the there are four, three coaches in the league that have been tenured longer than than he has. And I don't say that to mean he absolutely has to go, and I'm especially not calling for it after a win last night. But there's pretty clearly, at least in my mind's eye, a lack of desire to make any type of move to help this team out right now. And I just, given everything I said to start the show about Matthews, I'm not in a position to be punting on his years. So I think if you feel like you need to give this team a jolt, a shot, if it's me, I'm telling the GM to go fix the mistake he made in signing John Klingberg at the beginning of the season. Yeah. And that should be the jolt. That should be the shot. So, you know, we, we talked a lot about, you know, the Nikita Zadorov trade when it happened. And then, well, you know, there's other things he can do. Okay. Uh, been months later. I'd like to see those other things. Sam Lafferty. I understood the idea of, a Frazier Minton, giving him a shot. Maybe this allows you to have a different ceiling for your team. Guess what? Did not work. Lafferty's been okay. great. Yeah. Lafferty's been great. Now, do I think he would have been great here? No, I've seen this movie before where there's guys who are middling here and they find new role elsewhere. But you know what Lafferty is that this team does not have outside of basically Noah Gregor? He's a burner. He can mm-hmm. fly. And this team does not have any of that. So there, this isn't me sitting here killing for living either, but... If I'm, if you're looking at me and asking me who's the bigger reason why this team has struggled this season, Sheldon Key for Brad Living, I'm going to tell you it's the guy who put the team together, not the guy who's pulling the strings with it every night. So that's where I've kind of fell on this. But I also realized that if you're not going to make a move, you can't punt on Matthew's seasons. You can't sit here and say to your, and I'm not saying this is what the Leafs are doing, but you cannot sit there and say, well, you know, cap this year, don't have the assets. And then Tavares contract next year and Two years from now, we'll figure it. Two years from now, Austin Matthews can be borderline thirty. Again, I was I, it's a, I'm a sicko that I text this to my buddies at five fifteen in the morning driving in. But <laughs> in ten years, we're going to be done with the Austin Matthews experience. No, 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 like, don't go there. Don't no, go there. No, but we are. Like he's going to be thirty seven years old. Go look at what Alex Ovechkin looks like right now. And hey, maybe he looks like Sidney Crosby. I'm not. Uh, you know what? Actually, I am telling you, you can't do it. Please prove me wrong. But ten years from now, this thing is stop over with a period but 60 70 goal austin matthews i'm gonna go it on a limb and again please prove me wrong especially if you're doing it as a leaf so when he's 37 years old we're not gonna be talking about this like there's a finite window here so that is why i have come around on it despite me not thinking it's keith's fault at all but it just i keep coming back to it when i was watching that challenge last night of how finicky it's ridiculous and again i i don't say this to say he's some innocent bystander here he i've had my questions i've had my criticisms about the job he's done but i also don't think he's he's far and away the reason uh other couple other things from the game last night uh martin jones feels like we're getting to where i expected to get with anyways with him where oh okay this is still going all right I'd like another goalie to enter the mix, please, soon. And no, this isn't me clamoring for Ilya Samsonov, but it is me sitting there going, okay, Joe Wall, I, they should not rush him. He's way too important for that. But rush him. But the sooner he's healthy, <laughs> the better it would be. Because, you know, Martin Jones, he had the, like, 930 save percentage at yeah. one point in time. And I looked at it like, uh, you know, the old Price is Right game where the guy's going up the mountain. It's the inverse of that. It was just like, okay, this is just going to slowly descend and hopefully they're able to turn him back into the backup before it gets all the way to where I expected to go. So he was far from the reason you, well, they won the game, uh, but he was far from the reason that they had trouble last night, but it does feel like we're kind of, uh, you know, to borrow an old Mike Babcockism, we're finding our level with, with Martin Jones felt like he exceeded expectations a little bit and we're, we're coming back to earth bit here yeah it's funny we, we talk about the, the whole Sheldon Keith thing and and then the roster like clearly there are 
flaws on this roster, like significant flaws. Like Martin Jones is starting what? It, all nine, the games? Ninety percent of the the all, games for this team. At least all the games that you think you have a chance to win. Right, and, and <laughs> to your point, he's been fantastic. But you, you think that that is going to revert to the mean over the course of time, which it it might feel like is happening now. And you look at the the decor, and there's just a lack of guys that can move the mm-hmm. puck. Or oh, yep. some people think there's a lack of grit on the back end as well. They're just they are flawed in how they are made and most teams in the national hockey league given the salary cap are flawed but the leafs it feels like more so because of how much they have to pay up front now what i don't know how many goaltenders there are out there available it it feels like you'd just be bringing in someone who's maybe not as far along and as much of a known commodity as martin jones but it feels like you'd just be plugging in another name oh no no i'm not i'm not saying going to get a guy this part of the problem of trading for a goalie is you're getting well it's that but it's also unlike a defenseman you can go trade for a five six defenseman i don't think that's what this team needs but you can go get that. Those players exist. They have value. They'll play for you in the playoffs. We've seen this movie before where they go and get a guy in net, David Riddich. Okay, he could play five games. Let's see how this goes. The problem with a goaltender trade is unlike a forward or unlike a defenseman where, again, like there are middle six guys. There are bottom pair guys. There are checking line guys that all have utility and matter to your team. Unless you're trading for a goalie who, again, isn't out there unless you believe you're going to go prize Soros out of Nashville or something along those lines, there's no point in trading for the middle-tier goalie because guess what? It would have been Martin Jones. That's the guy. If he played for some other team, that's the guy you would have been trading for. So I'm not saying go get a goalie. I'm just I'm just pleading with the, the gods of sports science to <laughs> keep Joe Wall upright and healthy yeah. and hopefully that ankle. I don't know. Can we like – there's goalie voodoo. Can we put like goalie pixie dust on his ankle or something like that? Yeah. And then – so if you're not going to make a move, you know, in net, it becomes, okay, how are you going to supplement – the decor, and mm-hmm. if there's not a ton out there, then how do you get the team playing better? Yeah, and you start to wonder, like, you get close to the trade deadline. Last year's team, after the trade deadline, was I think a lot better oh, than better. the team before the trade deadline. And you start to wonder, like, is that something that Brad Treliving is capable of doing once again? And if that's the case, if that is the blueprint for improving the team's chances come playoff time, then I think that is the move Mm -hmm. over making a coaching change or or getting another name uh, in net. But you have to, I think there has to be improvement somewhere. So it's it's either at the deadline, you're going to be relatively aggressive because to your point, you don't want to waste another year of Austin Matthews. Mm And if that's not going to happen, then maybe it is, in fact, a new voice. I just don't know if the status quo is enough. Like, yep. they're, not, they're not there. They're a step behind the best teams in the National Hockey League right now. Clearly, where is that bump going to come from? And if it's not roster, it's got to be the coach. There's, there's something there. I mean, the I don't think you're getting a move that material impacts things. I think if this team, it is going to be very much a baseball trade deadline where they have to go yeah. out there and earn their trade. That is what's going to have to happen, I think, between now and the deadline. And I understand where Treliving is sitting at going, unless this is something, you know, unless he can go make his, uh, his Jake Buzzin trade, for lack of a better term, then I do think he's. It's going to be a smallish ad if they go out and and you know the name I've thrown out a billion times and I've I've said he plays for the Coyotes every time I've done this because that's where that's where he went after. But he's now a Duck. Is Ilya Labushkin this guy who played with Morgan Riley? He's on a bad Ducks team. 
Maybe it's bodies. Yeah, big body. He's, <laughs> he's, the most important part of that for me is he's played well with Morgan Riley. Yeah. And that is a move where, again, I'm not going to pretend to know what it costs and if there's a there's not seen as a lot of sellers and he's a body that's out there. Obviously, the price goes up for these things. But that's the thing I've wondered about this blue line the entire year is I'm not blind to the reality. Of course, you would love to pop in your you know right shot stud. We've only been talking about that my entire life in this city, okay? But... That's not going to happen. But I do believe that if you put in a guy who, you know, pick your archetype, your Ron Hainsey, your Matt Hunwick, your Ilya Labushkin, you could just go get him again. Those are guys who Morgan Riley's played, Luke Shen. Those are guys that Morgan Riley's played really good hockey alongside. And if you do that, you move Brody off that top pair. I like what you've gotten out of McCabe. You found something in Benoit. And this is far from a perfect blue line. Don't take this as me saying that's a Stanley Cup champion blue line. They're not going to be Stanley Cup champions because of their blue line at any point in time so long as Matthews Marner and Nylander are on the team it's never going to be because of their blue line and guess what that's okay when the Penguins won cups it wasn't because of their blue line either you know who's pretty good Chris Letang I'm not saying Morgan Riley's him but he's certainly looked Letang-ish at times in the playoffs so that's what I keep coming back to that you know I understand Trilliving wanting to keep his powder dry to a certain extent, and that's why I think it's, it is ultimately going to end up on Keefe if they don't really right the ship in a big way. And I don't think that's fair, but, you know, professional sports, fair. What's fair got to do with it at the end of the day? Yeah, I, I love your point about having them earn it, and that needs to come from I mean, res- results. Again, again, my actual point is that uh, they have earned it because they've been playing without a $4 million defenseman on the back end that was supposed to be playing top four minutes the whole year. They've been playing with the third string goalie in that the whole time. I think there is an argument to make that this team, and no one wants to hear it because they've been blowing leads left, right, and center, and they're third in the division. They have kind of earned it to a certain extent. I'll tell you who has for sure earned it. The guy who's going to go score 60-some-odd goals mm-hmm. this year. He, for sure, at the very least, ha- has earned it. And that is the thing I keep coming back to. And I'm of two track minds on it, right? The pragmatic, long-term play is true living to say, ah, man, I really, like, I blew it with the Revo and Klingberg signings, and that money would have been helpful this year. But these assets are going to be helpful a year or two down the line. I can understand that line of thinking, but I also can't understand, or it, I can't wrap my head around Sheldon Keefe paying for effectively the John Klingberg signing. And I don't think it's as simple as that, but all we ever talk about is how capped out this team is. It's, it's not a million bucks. It's not two. It's not, it's four and one at 4.1. And then you throw Reeves into it. It's basically a whole Tyler Bertuzzi. Yeah, okay. It looks really bad. So, and again, like GMs make mistakes. Lord knows the last guy made plenty of them and he had to throw assets out the door to, you know, fix some of those mistakes. So this isn't to pour dirt on Trilliving and his tenure, but that is the thing I keep coming back to is the cap space matters so much. Cap matters so much. And you just punt it on 5 million bucks of it, basically, in your first year. It's that a really, is, really hard place it, to... That, to that, yeah, I think your, your point about, you know, you look at what they've been able to do. Like, they're, they're on, what, just over 100 point or about 100 yeah. point pace. And they've been playing the entirety of the year or 80% of the year with a third string goalie and uh, a decor where your marquee f- signing in the offseason hasn't worked out at all. Yeah, it really like, It's actually, when you look at it that way, it's, it's not, they're pretty much exactly where you would expect them to be mm-hmm. when you evaluate this roster and you, you subtract what you thought was your number one goalie from the equation. Like, yeah. how, how could you expect them to be a 110-point team with Martin Jones playing every night. 
Well, I mean, the the counterpoint to that would be uh, William Nylander has been on a 120-point pace in various times this season, and Matthews is a 70-goal guy, and that that bum, Mitch Marner, is going to have, like, 95 points again. So, that like, that's I think that's how, is that it's just those guys can paper over so, so much, and no one wants to build a team that way, especially in 2024 NHL, but it's kind of the way you got to go about it. And you it. could say Sheldon Keefe has done a good job of extracting that production out of his top guys as well. Yeah, it's tough, right? Because I think he's definitely done a good job of that, but I also think there... There's other things. Well, and, you know, I, I'm not a believer in this, but I think a lot of people do think you could open the door and Matthews find a way to run into 50. Exactly. Because guess what? We've seen him play 60 games and run mm-hmm. into 50. Mm-hmm. He is a special, special player. Uh, we'll have plenty more on the Leafs. Corey Schneider going to join us a little later on. Obviously, a pretty fitting guest with them heading into Vancouver uh, for the weekend. But uh, before we step aside, the Toronto International Boat Show is returning to the Entercare Center at Exhibition Place today until January 28th. We are giving away tickets to the event and ballots for a chance to win their grand prize, a Prince Craft fishing boat with a Mercury engine and trailer. We also have our own VIP prize, which includes dinner for two, a $100 shopping spree at the show, and an overnight stay at the Weston Harbor Castle. Listen, then text the code word to 590-590 to be entered for a chance to win. Today's code word is exhibition place. This is our last code word of the contest, so be sure to text your answers in. Raptors played last night. It did not go uh, as well. Threes falling at a lesser clip. Uh, Threes falling for Austin Matthews. Less so for the Raptors in a loss at home to the Bulls. We'll talk about all that more when we continue here. It is Gunning and Rubinoff on the Fan Morning Show on Sportsnet 590 The Fan. Big guests and bigger opinions on everything happening in Leafsland. Real Kipper and Born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Yesterday, Pascal. Um, incredibly difficult, but we're, we're, excited. we're also excited about the new direction of the of the team, so uh, and I think of his dad, and a lot of people don't know that uh, Pascal came to basketball without borders in South Africa, all NBA, all All-Star, all everything, championship, and it's not stereotype championship of Africa and waving the flag on the bench. Scoring, contributing, yeah, doing everything you know uh, that you can think of. Uh, this again, I say to you guys that that guy's success is my success, no matter where he is. Masai Ujiri putting a little bow on the Pascal Siakam era, uh, the Demar Derozan era, the Kyle Lowry era. It's been a long run of successful Raptors basketball that ultimately uh, came to an end with the Pascal Siakam trade. And, you know, not to say there isn't a very, very bright future here. And, you know, we'll talk a little bit about the game last night, although let's be honest, not too much to take away uh, from from that one, especially when we got bigger picture things. It's very fitting. Uh, Obviously, the Raptors wouldn't have planned it this way, but it's 
having all of the ghosts of Raptors' success and angst past uh, back in the building the last couple nights. You had Kyle oh, yeah. Lowry there, and then Vince Carter's there, which I don't know. Like, I'm supposed to make my peace with this, I know, but I still see him and go a little, yeah, okay. It's nice that Alvin likes you. He likes you more than me. <laughs> uh, and then DeRozan in, in, in town as well. And, you know, Alvin always poking around with Matt, but he's just like one of the core tenants you think of in Raps history as well. It's uh, it's just really fitting that all those guys were in the building and in town right as uh, Pascal Siakam finds himself uh, on the way out there. It was the whole lineage, right? Yeah. Like the the Vince. All you needed was Chris Bosh DeMar- poking around. It, is, it was unbelievable uh, to witness that. Yeah, and, it, and Matt Bonner, of course, as well. <laughs> Matt Red Rocket. Uh, yeah, it certainly feels like uh, the the trading of Pascal puts like a real bow mm-hmm. on an era. Like this is the true people have been clamoring this for for this for over a year uh-huh. now, but the, it's the true passing of the torch to Scotty Barnes. And now you sort of figure out what the new direction of the team is going to be. Uh, but coming away from Masai Ujiri's press conference yesterday, like he, he said a lot of really uh, uh, emotional touching things about uh, Pascal Siakam and uh, what's happened over the last couple of years and, and uh, the connections he felt to that core I still look back on that and say, man, had you started this a year and a half ago, it feels like the franchise would be in a much, much better place. And you'd have, you know, Scotty would be in the same spot. He'd be progressing, but it feels like you would be a little bit further ahead than where you are right now. I keep going back to, you know, he he said yesterday, you know, there wasn't a lot of value in trading some of his guys, Mm -hmm. Pascal and Fred and OG in the off season or even last, last year. I find it hard to believe that there wasn't something out there to yeah. help kickstart the rebuild and to, to want to give these guys a chance when everybody who watched that team knew that even with the addition of mm-hmm. Jakob Pertl, there was nothing significant or substantial that was on the horizon for them to actually accomplish. And ultimately, it, it, they flamed out. And it just feels like a massive missed opportunity that is going to end up setting the organization back at least a year. I don't disagree, but... Uh, Raptors president, uh, whatever lofty title he rightfully so holds with the not GM, that's Bobby Webster, but whatever Messiah's uh, title is these days, he would disagree. Uh, in a quote uh, from our own Blake Murphy on what they got for OG Pascal now versus earlier, when I measure it versus what we have now and what was available then, it pretty much balances out. Uh, obviously, pretty much could be doing very little or a ton of work there because, you know, pretty much first-round picks now versus first-round picks in other years, actual live human entities that are playing in the NBA versus lottery tickets and pixie dust. I mean, I, I have made the argument as well. It's funny, Ben and I kicked this about yesterday of you could never do it, but how great would sports be if if they had, if, if Masai had to tell Woj or whoever, every trade that was on the table a year yeah, ago, so we could yeah. know right now. Cause it's like, you know, I've made this point about the Brendan Shanahan, Kyle Dubas exit a million times. Everyone goes, what are you talking about? We heard what happened. Well, we heard his version of what happened. And I don't think he's lying to us, but that's his version of what happened. And mm-hmm. we just got to take Masai Ujiri's word as gospel here that yeah, more or less the same trade. I don't know that he's wrong. I, I think that given what he did for OG Ananobi and the success that those players had, I think if there was a maybe a younger player to be had in the trade a year ago, maybe you would have seen him pull the trigger. The other thing I think we 
we have to revisit when we talk about the idea of Masai not doing the trade a year ago is, you know, we all heard the comments at the beginning of the season this year and talking about players who were being selfish. Yeah. And that was pretty clearly pointed at Siakam to the point where he felt like he had to defend himself. You hear Masai talking about this yesterday and you have to realize how, and not the Masai isn't cold and calculated, uh, go ask DeMar DeRozan, but you have to see how difficult a personal decision that not professional, but a personal decision that would have been to move on from Pascal Siakam. He said it right there. His success is my success. I mean, when we all think of Masai Ujiri, we're going to think of the 2019 championship. And guess what? That's going to be a very core tenant of what he's accomplished in his life. But so is Giants of Africa. So is basketball without borders. I'd argue all that stuff matters. I'm not going to say more, but just as much to Masai Ujiri. And I don't say that as a knock. Like, I think all those things he do are valiant or, you know, honorable goals and beautiful things that he's built. So the idea of, you know, let's let's just say hypothetically it was, you know, the trade that I think people wanted to see from the Pacers, that instead of three sec- or first-round picks, it was, you know, Benedict Matherin and contracts that, that work. I, I could see a world where it would be harder for him to have done that a year ago, given everything he had to say about Siakam, but I also think he would have pulled the trigger on that because I've seen him do it for DeMar DeRozan, who is the, you know, the most loyal Raptor that there was. So that's the thing I keep coming back to with Masai on this is hearing him talk yesterday is that, you know, it seemed like there was a bit of an icy relationship between the player and contract relation and G or the in front office and contract negotiations will make that happen. But you clearly see how tough it would have been for Masai to move on unless it was exactly what he wanted to get. And that's why I think it it took him so long to eventually, you know, for lack of a better term, come around to accepting this offer. Yeah, it's an excellent point. And he had a, a very uh, personal answer yesterday. I think it was Eric Kareen who asked him, like, should you be colder when making deals like this? And he was like, how much colder can I possibly be? Like, look at the guys that I've traded. And he said how difficult it was. And he went for a two hour walk before he traded DeMar. And he went for another walk before he traded Pascal. And he all the bundled up. We'll be at your coat on (laughs) all all the decisions and the agony that he's gone through in, in making coaching changes and trading these guys. And while all of that is, extremely noteworthy and it it peels back the curtain and how difficult a job this is because we are dealing with human beings there is an acknowledgement i think that has to be made and he did make it that this is a business and you can't not make moves because you have a personal relationship with guys or you feel like it's going to be difficult to want to trade yeah. You have to make the best decision for the franchise. And I understand that you, you build a culture and you commit to certain guys, but you, you can't let that color the way you evaluate mm-hmm. your team and your roster. Like you're in this position for a reason. There are only so many president and GM jobs in the National Basketball Association. Mm-hmm. And while culture is very important to you, you're not the only one that's making deals for the betterment of your franchise or trying to improve your organization. You you have to be cold. And if that, what is the difference mm-hmm. between trading Pascal Siakam a couple of days ago right. versus a year ago? Yeah. What is the difference? And did your relationship with him mean that you weren't evaluating the team properly? You thought they were better than they actually were. Like, and, and if that's an inherent bias mm-hmm. just from being, you know, close with these guys, yeah. then, then that's part of what you get with Masai Ujiri. Mm-hmm. There's nothing wrong with that. Yep. It's just that these guys are open to making mistakes like everybody else. And it feels like in this particular situation, Masai let the personal feelings 
make him wait a little bit longer than he probably should have to make the deals? I don't think they were a non-factor, but I think it was much more hubris in what he had built than the personal relationships. I mean, you see it it with Lowry, right? Now, I think I have long made the argument that Kyle Lowry is different than every other person we talk about in this. Like, sorry, DeMar DeRozan, you got traded for the guy who won the title, so it actually only led to your Raptors lore. Fred Van Vliet, you know, when I close my eyes and think of the finals, I picture Kyle Lowry, like, holding the trophy, and I picture Fred Van Vliet with chipped tooth and bleeding from his eye on the floor Oracle. That's what I picture. Like, it matters so much to me. But Mm -hmm. guess what? He's not Kyle Lowry. He's not the greatest player in your franchise's history, and you probably should have tried to extricate something for him. I think if it was, and it was, in my opinion, and we'll never know because we'll never get the fan fiction that is these guys having to tell Woj every offer that came across their desk. <laughs> maybe one day in a book. Maybe, maybe, well, yeah. I've said, I, I did say that it's like we've had draft day the movie. Can mm-hmm. I at least just have that movie? Can yeah. I just see it, uh, it, it in practice? But the thing I think with Masai that's much more likely is that he was just a believer, and wrongly so, but a believer in what he had built with Pascal and Scotty and all these timelines kind of converging. And again, you know, look at, the road he had built here. Why wouldn't he believe that? Look at all the eras of Raptors basketball. He was able to meld together. It went from a nothing team to, you know, Paul Pierce saying they don't have it to 50 wins were a lock. They never had to rebuild. And you're in the conference final against LeBron and you just turn that team into a ready-made champion. And then you turn the carcass of that team into a team that pushes the Celtics in a playoff series. So why wouldn't he think he would just continually be able to fold this over and retool on the fly? I think that's why you saw him hold on. Personal relationships, definitely a small part of it. But I think it was just the rightfully, I mean, he ultimately was proven wrong, but I understand why he would believe that way, just the belief in what he had built. Yeah, and I think even, you know, last night and the rest of the season, the reason I think he looked at this team and thought they were probably better than they were is because he was expecting Scotty Barnes to take a leap. Mm Mm-hmm. And he has taken a massive leap. God, he's and so good. He's so good. And and you wonder, like, okay, if you're in your head thinking, okay, if Scotty Barnes gets to an all-star level and I'm evaluating this roster, I have an all-defense guy in OG and an OB. I have another potential all-NBA guy in Pascal Siakam. I have what's now going to be an all uh, potential all-star in Scotty Barnes. Like, on the surface, that seems like a really good team. And you can sort of understand why he would make that mistake. But there was never a point really where they looked like they were capable of actually doing damage. Like it never no. it never happened. Irrespective of the fact mm-hmm. that the roster individually they had really good pieces. The sum of the parts never truly fit together and whether that was the failed 6-9 project or the lack of a center and then they brought uh Pirtle here and it, it, that didn't work out necessarily either even though they were a little bit better after the trade deadline last year. The sum of the parts never fully worked out and he was tied to okay if scotty barnes takes the leap how much better can we actually be he thought they were going to be better than they ended up being this year and he admitted he said if it was a mistake holding on to these guys and it was a mistake and i think after bringing an nba championship to this city there's a certain amount of mistakes that Masai Ujiri is probably allowed some leeway for. i think the patience of the fan base is now finally starting to wear out a little bit but It's not like the moves that he just made are horrible deals. They are not. You have a piece moving forward with Emmanuel quickly and RJ Barrett. 
that are you know remains to be seen if RJ can keep this level of play up, but you think that quickly is the point guard of the future. And are the draft picks in the Pacers deal the greatest draft picks of all time? No. But he said yesterday mm-hmm. he's probably not done when it comes to trades. So the finished product is not yet complete. And I think we owe it to Masai Ujiri, even though this team is now firmly kind of rebuilding for the first time in his uh, era, mm-hmm. I-, I think we owe it to him to give him you know, one more shot at it to try and reconfigure this roster because who else would you rather have doing that than Messiah, a guy who actually brought a championship here? Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, proof is in the pudding. He, he has done the job. He has also retooled to a certain degrees of success. And I think the other part is that, you know, again, like I had my issue with the fit. I kind of, you know, I'm such a basketball genius. I saw this from the jump, but <laughs> I understand why you wanted to see if an all NBA guy yeah. and your super young stud yeah. could work together. They did not. Time to move on. They did. I... I, what the thing that I think is most interesting to watch in kind of Raptors land between now and the deadline is, I mean, obviously, what's going to happen with the team? Yes, that's pretty interesting. But how does it affect Masai Ujiri's decision on this? Is his mind already kind of effectively made up that I want to turn Bruce Brown and Gary Trent Jr., those contracts into longer-term contracts and guys that'll be here? Maybe I'm using the draft capital. Maybe I've kind of decided to let those three pieces in, in quickly RJ and, and Scotty really kind of build and grow together. And if Gary Trent Jr. leaves via trade or Bruce Brown leaves via trade, that's fine. That's okay. I, I That's the thing I'm most curious about is has he already, I mean, I'm sure he's leaning one way or another, but what does he need to see to be swayed in that opinion between now and the deadline? That is what I think is going to be most interesting. Yeah, hundred percent. And we were talking earlier about uh, Matthews and sort of his window of having to push, 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 right? And Scotty Barnes taking this leap, it makes me wonder, like, for how long can you actually afford to rebuild? Mm. Because you have a guy who's potentially on the precipice of eventually getting to an all-NBA-type spot. And when you have a guy like that, like, is the same, I don't want to call it uh, lack of patience, but is there the same drive to Mm. want to immediately be good again? Like, can you afford a year or two of being a bad team if that means you get draft picks that are high? Like, if, if the Raptors are that bad the rest of the way through, mm-hmm. they keep their top six. Yeah. It's top six protected. They keep their pick from the Jakob Pertle trade, yeah, right? you want to convey that this year, ideally. And, yeah, and then, it, and then it rolls over if they uh, end up using that pick. So it just makes me wonder, like, if Scotty is as good as he actually is, mm-hmm. How quickly do they have to be good again? Like, how quickly does Masai have to start pushing chips back into the table, trading the Bruce Browns for more picks? Does, mm-hmm. Is that is that the move, or is it you use the picks to try and get another young piece of the core mm-hmm. and try and go almost immediately with a quickly Barrett, Scotty Barnes, and another young piece type situation? Like, I, I think he has options. Now, which is interesting, and I'm very, I really am excited to see where he thinks this team can be and how quickly they can get there. Because Scotty's really, really good. Mm-hmm. He's really, really, really good. And do we want to see Scotty flounder for the next two seasons on a rebuilding team? I do not. I don't know. I don't know if I do either. I don't know if I have the patience for that. And, and I strongly. It would lean towards Masai not having that patience either. Yeah, I don't I don't think so. It'll be fascinating uh, to see it play out. One thing I do not want to wait for either, but I do have to wait. One day, nine hours, 34 minutes, and 40 seconds for some NFL playoff football. We yes, get that sir. starting tomorrow. It'll all end with a Sunday nighter, Bills at home to the Chiefs. 
pretty sexy, if I do say so myself. Speaking of sexy, our man, Charles Davis, going to join us next. First hour in the books, Fan Morning Show with Gunning and Rubinoff on Sportsnet 5.9 of the Fan.